You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Amen. Welcome once again to Whitefields Community Church. Go ahead and take your seats. Open in your Bibles to the book of James, New Testament epistle of James. We're currently in a series uh, in the New Testament epistle of James. And uh, Mike, you know, hey, how about we give it to Mike for uh, singing like... Because uh, he wasn't just trying to sound cool, actually. Like that, he actually has a cold. I don't know if you knew that. You're like, wow, he's so raspy. I love it. But um, not only is he raspy and you love it, but he has a cold. And uh, I, I'm impressed, just kind of up there giving his all there. But guess what? That isn't all the raspiness you're going to get today. There's more. Why? Because Mike loves the epistle of James. In fact, he loves it so much that he named his firstborn son James. And there might be other reasons for that, but I'm guessing one of them is because he loves this book. And so Mike is going to be teaching again this morning from James chapter 3. So Mike, come on up and teach us the word. Thank you very much. Well, you are already there in James chapter 3. And um, we're going to look at the entire chapter this morning. And um, we're in this this series called Faith in Motion. And um, this is an amazing book. Yes, we did name our first son after the book of James. And after really studying the book of James, it's quite a difficult book, so I don't know if we want to reconsider. But but, uh, he's already 21, so I'm sure... He's kind of, you know, that name is kind of taken. But uh, so if you've got your Bibles there, let us read. Uh, we're just going to read the first, um, first 12 verses, I think. And then we will go into our study this morning. So James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we teach, for, for that we teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their, their whole bodies as well. Look at the ship also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also is the tongue. It's a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and our Father, and with it, we curse people with who, with who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come before this text this morning, and Lord, we read these things, and they are, they're heavy. They're weighty, weighty truths that we can take this morning and and just know, Lord, that you're speaking them to our hearts, Lord, and you've given them here through the voice of James to us for a purpose. 
We pray that our hearts and minds would be open to what your Holy Spirit would have teach us this morning, even these hard truths which are sometimes difficult to understand and to put into practice. And so, Lord, we just pray. We pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, come here and just anoint our hearts and minds as we bring this word here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never harm me. Probably one of the most iconic phrases of your childhood and my childhood. What about I am rubber, you are glue, what you say you know, bounces off me and sticks to you. Does that sound familiar? Maybe bringing back some bad uh, kindergarten memories. You know, a couple of childhood phrases that couldn't be further from the truth, right? How many of you still have those bruises from when somebody pushed you down in the playground so many, many years ago? Or, you know, or that black eye from that adolescent scuffle that you might have had after school? Well, no, those scrapes and bruises, they've long They've long since faded, but many of us still carry with us the scars from careless words thrown around in the heat of the moment. Things may be said during our childhood rivalries through meanness. You know, these words, they cut deeper than a real knife would. And many of them, you know, we might not even be healed from some of these things. Maybe it was a schoolmate. Maybe, maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was your parents who's, who said things out of ignorance or frustration or just plain meanness. But these words, they have stuck with you all these years, defining the very choices that you make to this very day. These careless words have become that filter through which you have now viewed your life, or maybe you do view your life. You know, my last name is Payne, Mike Payne, Michael Payne. I'm sure you can imagine the variety of ways that that was used to describe me as I was growing up, and I'm sure they're going through your mind right now, and we don't need to necessarily verbalize them. But I did get my revenge when I was in the Marine Corps, when one of the young Marines who worked for me, he called me the Sergeant of Pain because he was upset at how much I made them run and how much I made them work out. And I wear, wore that badge of honor from that time forth. You know, I was very proud of that actually. But I did aspire to greater things. I thought one day I could be a major pain. But then there was one more I thought, you know, I could just be a general pain. But all kidding aside, I think this chapter, chapter three, I don't think there's a more relevant chapter in the Bible for our day, this day that we live in. I don't think there's a chapter, if we take it serious, taken serious by you and, you and I, can have the most radical impact on our own lives and our society. And you say, well, why am I kind of framing it in a negative sense? You know, well. I think we can all agree that when it comes to words, we tend to fixate on the negative rather than the positive ones. We can receive nine positive comments, right? And then we get that one negative comment, and it's as if those nine comments never existed. We fixate on that negative comment. You know, over the years, I've had the opportunity to lead worship in churches, many different kinds of churches, and you know, people come up afterwards and they say, oh, how blessed they were by my ministry, and, they thank me for what I'm doing and, and, you know, just, you know, many, many people say, you know, very nice things. And then there's always that one person, that one person who, you know, waits their turn, waits till the very last. And then they come and they speak their mind and they tell you how much they didn't like what you did. They didn't like the songs you sang. You didn't sing enough of their favorite songs. They complain about this. They complain about that. They tell you how much better they do it at this other church. Hashtag true story, you know, and you 
fixate on those things. Those things will bug me. It doesn't matter what those other people said. Inevitably, I'll be fixated. You know, even though 99.999% of the church is blessed by my ministry, I will fixate on that one negative comment. It will bug me. You know, words have impact on our lives, especially negative ones. So why frame this topic in the negative? Well, because James does. James says the tongue is a restless evil full of poison. Or verse six, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on, the, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Set on fire by hell, James, you know, can you really tell us how you feel right here? You know, don't need to beat around the bush or just get straight to the point, you know? James says, our tongues are set on fire by hell sometimes. You know, we live in a society where there are no filters anymore. Years ago, and maybe some of you remember, if you disagreed with a newspaper article, well, you wrote to the editor of the newspaper and they filtered those comments and printed them on the letter to the editor page. Not so today. There's nothing civil about our modern society's discourse on any subject, it seems. That poison that James speaks of is on display for all to see. People just kind of vomit out their hatred and disgust for anyone who doesn't share their opinion. That decadent, sinful soul of man on display for all to see. I saw this advertisement from GoDaddy.com, which is kind of a, a website hosting company. It said this, how to start a political blog from your couch how to start a political blog from your couch. So that's exactly what we need in this world today. Another political blog and from a couch potato, couch activist. This is our world today. 24-hour news networks with talking heads just slandering one another, left, right, nonstop, anything goes. Internet trolls, people who have had their tongues set on fire by hell. But can I be honest with you this morning as well? I think the church can be just as bad sometimes and not necessarily setting the most godly examples, tearing each other apart on YouTube and on their, their blog sites, dividing over methodologies and not even theology, over non-essentials of our faith and not speaking grace to the hearer, but instead using the critical vocabulary of the world that we claim to oppose. But let's put all that aside for a moment and bring things even closer to home this morning. Maybe you say, well, I could care less about TV. Don't watch it. Don't have a Facebook page. Don't have the internet. Don't have social media, Instagram. I don't care. I don't pay attention to that stuff anyway. But what about inside the walls of the church? The gossip, the slander, the critical thinking. What about our social circles? The water cooler conversations. What about within the walls of our own families? James is speaking to all of that today, and we want to be sure to take his message to heart. And I'm sure as we read through that passage this morning, you, you understood the weight of his words to us. None of us are unaffected by this topic. We all struggled with the effects of careless words spoken against us or even spoken by us. It's also one of the few messages I can preach this morning, and people will think twice about criticizing it. So there's always that plus. So we're gonna look at three main, three main ideas today. Three main ideas, teachers, the tongue, and true wisdom. Yes, teachers, the tongue, and true wisdom, and for your convenience, they all start with the letter T. But that brings us to verse one of chapter three. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. 
For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he said, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. So James starts out with this admonition, admonition to anyone who would desire to be a teacher, specifically here within our church context. But I think within the context of how we use our words, I think it can apply to anybody who calls themselves or finds themselves in a teacher role. First, let's look at why James gives this admonition to teachers, and then let's look at why there will be a stricter judgment. First, why the admonition? Well, let me suggest a couple of reasons for you. A teacher assumes a place of authority in the lives of the people that he is teaching. You know, Tim Krieger, he sometimes is up here on the screen giving us, giving us the announcements on Sunday mornings. Well, Tim, he is a school math teacher, and he is Mr. Krieger to his students. When he says, open your books to such and such a page, there's no argument about his authority as the teacher. You know, his students, they do what they, his students accept his authority. And so, what about college? You're professors, you spend all that money go to college and get a degree, you expect your professors to know what, they talk, what they're talking about. They tell you something, you, you feel there's weight behind the words that they have. The same thing in church. There's an expectation you have from me today or anybody who would stand here in the place of the pulpit that I can speak into your life through the word of God. That is an authority given me as a pastor in the church, an expectation I remember when I first became a missionary many, many years ago, and I'd be introduced, hey, this is Mike. This is Mike, he's a missionary from the US. And you know, I, I got the sense almost immediately that I had authority to speak into these people's lives. They assumed, since I was a missionary from the US, that I knew what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. I was kind of learning as I was going. I had zero experience. But because of that title, Missionary Mike, you know, they supposed that I knew what I was saying and what I was doing and I could speak into their lives. Now with that authority, of course, comes responsibility and not only a responsibility laid out by James here in this chapter, but also by Jesus who says in Luke 12, 48, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. With this authority comes responsibility. My words, they have weight whether I like it or not, especially if I am teaching the word of God. I, I always want to be true to God's word and just let it say what it says and not gloss over it. I've been called to a higher standard. If you are a teacher, you've been called to a higher standard. People quantify their statements. They quantify their statements by using your name. You know, well, Mr. Krieger said that or Pastor Nick said that or Pastor Mike said that. They quantify their statements by your name, their weight in your words if you are a teacher. I remember as, a, as our church was growing in Budapest, it was starting to grow and the platforms that God provided for us, they were also starting to grow radio and TV and the various conferences that I was invited to speak at. And I became acutely aware that my words were starting to carry more weight. My influence was starting to grow and I, st I started to feel the pressure of that. I remember someone came up to me after, uh, uh, up to me one day and said how blessed they were by something I had said at a conference and honestly, I couldn't remember ever saying that. I realized that I had no idea how far my words would travel and who would listen to them. 
and how they would impact people's lives. I needed to be sure that I had the authority of scripture behind all that I said. You know, Jesus tells us in Matthew 12, 36, he says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. And it's for this very reason here, shown to us by James, that I take my job this morning very seriously. I know that Pastor Nick does every time he steps into this pulpit. When we're going, you know, we were going through our last series. I, I, if you were here with us, remember the prophets. We were going through the lives and studying the various lives of the different uh, prophets of the Old Testament and just kind of looking at their ministries. And I remember the call of Ezekiel, call on Ezekiel's life and his ministry. And I remember God saying this to him, and this is my paraphrase. He said, if you preach the words I give you and the people don't repent and they perish, that is on me. God said, that's on me. But if you don't preach the words, if you don't preach the words I give you and they perish, then their blood is on your head. Teachers of God's word have a great responsibility to rightly divide the word of truth, the word of God in obedience and to shepherd his church. Because of that, we will receive a stricter judgment. And we will receive a stricter judgment in a few ways, I think. One, of course, is the expectation that God has placed on us as ambassadors of his gospel. We can't forget the story of Moses, if you remember, who misrepresented God as being angry with his people when he was not, when he struck the rock three times when God said, speak to the rock. And Moses, yes, he received a stricter judgment. And we are also responsible to preach the whole counsel of God and make people aware of their need for a savior, preaching the gospel through the, the preaching of repentance and the salvation by grace alone. We mustn't be leading people astray in every new wind of doctrine, whatever is the new trendy thing in Christianity today. We, we wanna stay true to the gospel of Jesus Christ as laid out in God's word. We will receive stricter judgment because our words... Our words, they have the power to sway people's lives, whether by the words of God's spirit or the words of my flesh. You know, am I speaking truth in love? Am I speaking the gospel, grace seasoned with salt, imparting grace to the hearers? Or am I imparting my opinion to serve some of my own private agenda? We receive a stricter judgment because the life of a teacher is held to a higher standard. But the very fact that I stand in front of you, I'm held to a higher standard. It would be pretty sad if at the end of this Bible study, after admonishing you to, hey, not slander, don't gossip, and then you catch me talking and gossiping about somebody in the church afterwards, it'd be very right of you to be disgusted with me. I'm held to a higher standard, not only in holiness, but in failure. James says there in verse two, for we stumble in many things. I can't live a life of unforgiveness or bitterness or pettiness towards others. And rightfully so, I need to model repentance as a teacher. When confronted with my sin, I should not seek to justify it, but in humbleness, repent. You, the congregation, you hold me to a stricter judgment, and so you should. And so let's move on from teachers and move on uh, to the tongue let's, and, and pay attention to what James has to say about the tongue. James has already introduced the subject to us back in chapter one, verse 26, if you were with us, and he will now expound on it for us 
in more detail in chapter three. And he's obviously learned a, a few things from his half-brother Jesus and the, and the use of illustration and the effect it can have in driving home a point and providing instruction to the hearers. And he's gonna use, you know, ships and, and uh, horses and uh, fires and circus animals and fig trees and grapevines and spring water to illustrate one very important point, the thing that he really needs us to hear, that the tongue... Though it is small, it has a disproportionate effect on all that pertains to life as we know it. He even goes on to say, which I find really amazing, that if our speech was perfect, we would also be perfect. Did you realize there's nothing in this world we do of significance that does not require the use of words? We express all of our wants, all of our desires, our deepest thoughts, our love for one another, you know, poets and musicians have used words to express the events of life throughout the ages. Even when we observe an amazing work of art by a painter or somebody, we, don't, we rarely do it in silence. We discuss it, we critique it. We share with each other our observations about the beauty of that piece of art. Our words are the expressions of our lives, the revelation of our true nature and our true heart. Our words have the power to edify, to bring edification, and they have the power for destruction. You know, as parents, we long for that day when our child will say their first word. We long for that day. We, every day, it's like every grunt, every noise, every thing that comes out of their mouth, we try and decipher and say, is that a word? Did they say dada, mama, whatever? You know, and we long for that day. When it does happen, it's celebrated with everybody. But then there comes a day, you know, when that child says things that are not so nice. They grow up, they might be prideful, they think they know what they're doing, and things come out of their mouth and they say things out of frustration, out of ignorance to you that hurts. And those words, our words, they build up and they also can tear down. And as painful as it might be to hear today, James is saying to us that our words provide a barometer of our spiritual condition, a barometer of our spiritual condition. James is going to reveal three important aspects about the tongue to us, three here in these verses. So number one, that the tongue is small, but it is powerful. Number two, the tongue is humanly untamable. And number three, that the tongue reveals more about us than we care to admit. So first of all, the tongue is very small, yet it wields much, much power. James shares with us three examples, the horse and the ship and the forest fire. And in the case of the bridle to control the horse and the, the rudder to control the ship, we see in both instances, this little small object is able to bring something so much larger and so much more powerful under control. James says in the same way, whoever can bridle the tongue is able to bridle the entire body, which then of course begs the question, who is holding the reins? Or who is the pilot controlling the rudder? Of course, some people just have absolutely no reins, uh, nobody's hand, or they have no hand on the reins or the rudder, and therefore, whatever comes out of their mouth is just whatever was on their mind at that time, not caring about the consequences or the shipwrecks that they might be causing. You know, for some, maybe their tongues are controlled by their emotions, speaking love in one moment and then speaking hate in the next. For others, it's, you know, it's just a worldly agenda, you know, or self-seeking goal. And then there are those, of course, who use their words to project, to protect their own fragility, 
lashing out just to keep themselves from getting hurt. And James asks, who is in control of your tongue? Then James shares with us another illustration in the forest fire. And of course, of course, we all can identify with one, with that one, as every summer our news broadcasts are inundated with forest fires up in the Rocky Mountains or in California. It always seems to be the same story. You know, somebody carelessly flicked their cigarette out the window or didn't extinguish their campfire properly. Some of these fires, of course, are set deliberately by arsonists who had no concern whatsoever for the impact of their actions, reactions. Just a spark that can create havoc on countless numbers of lives and vast acres of nature brought to ruins by that little flame that James talks about here. Did you know that last year, the largest and most destructive fire in the history of the world, actually here in the United States, it was caused by a blowout of a trailer. And as the, the, the rim hit the ground, those sparks came up and, and started the fire and it caused the biggest fire, the Car City Fire last year in June of 2018. Purely accidental, but yet with such huge consequences and cost of life, we never know what impact our words will have when they come out of our mouths, especially if they're not under the lordship of Jesus Christ, just like the one who just kind of carelessly flicks that cigarette out of the car or doesn't heed proper campfire protocols. We can be very careless with our words, not necessarily understanding the impact that they might have. Or maybe they're deliberate, like an arsonist. If that is the case, then God really needs to do a work in our hearts sometimes, but sometimes they can be accidental, accidental things, and we do that all the time, yet they have sad consequences, right? What do we do? Well, in this case, we can be humble, and we can seek forgiveness from those that we hurt. G James asks, who is in control of your tongue? Because he tells us that our tongues are humanly untamable, which is our second point here, and James makes some remarkable illustrations about the fact that we have tamed all these wild beasts, but we can't tame our own tongues. If you think of SeaWorld and you think of the zoo and you think of the circus with all their trained lions and tigers, what about the snake charmer who can play his flute and the snake comes out of the basket? But James says, you have dominion over creation, but not over your own tongues. We need Jesus. We need to bring them under the lordship of Jesus Christ. How many of you had that situation? You're in a heated argument with your spouse and a cruel word or, or something you know you shouldn't say comes to mind and everything in your minds tell you, don't say that, don't say that, don't say that, don't, don't, uh, and then you say it, and you say it, and you reap the repercussions of, of, of not heeding your own advice and not heeding the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm talking about. It's happened to all of us at some point. James tells us in verse eight, he says, how tongues, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You know, do you know what that tells me? That we can't be passive about this. We can't be passive. We can't just hope that, oh, it'll get better. Next time, next time I won't say that. Next time I'll have it under control. It'll be fine. You know, we can just hope. No, this again is our faith in motion. Our faith in motion. We need to actively bring our words and our thoughts under the lordship of Jesus Christ, Paul exhorts us in Philippians chapter two, there in verse three, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only 
look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Paul says we need to have the mind of Christ. We are told in 2 Corinthians 10, verse three, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the, of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, bringing our thoughts before Christ before they become careless words in our mouth, which means, of course, a daily devotion to the things of God, letting his word wash over our hearts and minds. Paul says in Ephesians 4, there in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And earlier in that chapter, Paul tells us that in verse 22, I think, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. This is faith in motion, submitting our will to his and remembering the gospel, filtering our lives through the truths of the gospel, praying for wisdom, praying to be strengthened by the Spirit of God, daily choosing to be that living sacrifice, being conformed more and more to the likeness of Christ. It's not an easy fix. It's not an easy fix. It's not a passive journey that you and I are on. Jesus, the Word made flesh, has come to seek and save the lost. But there's Satan, and he has come to seek and destroy, and he uses many words to do it. Lies spoken in our childhood in the heat of an argument that spread like wildfire in our lives and we're still bearing the consequences of that. We need to bring it to Jesus and we deal with this issue until the day we die. We'll deal with this issue to the day we die. We need to heed the serious warnings given to us here in chapter three of James. You know, I thought I was a very patient person. I was quite proud of it actually. And then I had kids and that kind of all went out the window. And then I also thought, I had, you know, I didn't have a critical tongue or a critical heart. And my pastor at the time, he once actually commented in front of the whole staff, he said, I've never heard a critical word come out of Mike's mouth. Well, unfortunately, I don't think I've lived up to that. And many times I feel, feel that I'm much more judgmental today than I was back then. So many times I found myself there in verse nine, with our tongues, with our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. We read that again. With, with our tongues we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Wow, what a statement. What a truth. Doesn't that what just kind of cut to the bone this morning? The irony of what James is saying that we, we are blessing and cursing God at the same time. In one breath I say, I love you, Lord, and then the next I say, I hate your creation. Doesn't First John tell us something about that? First John 4.20, he says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And I wonder sometimes if our worship is anemic 
because our hearts are not right, that the songs we sing on Sundays have no meaning because with that same mouth we have brought down our brother or our sister. And what does James, Jesus say in Matthew 5, 23? So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First we reconcile to your brother and then come and offer your gift. That's why it's so good to take communion every week. We can go and take that and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me, you know, before that, you know, as soon as the, the song starts, you just jump out back there quickly and just, you know, repent before the Lord. You can come back and just sing, sing with your heart to the Lord, you know. I, I do that many times. Lord, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. My heart's not right. Lord, forgive me. James says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. These things ought not to be so. And James's argument, his statement here is purely based on the absurd but completely truthful condition of the human soul that he has described to us up until this point. None of us can argue with him. None of us can argue. We all identify this morning with what he is saying. We, we echo his sentiment. This is not how it should be, but sadly, many times it is. Gossip and slander have destroyed and ripped apart so many, so many relationships within the church bringing shame to the name of God and those who call themselves Christians. And maybe some of you bear the scars of that in your life, even today. You know, James says things, these things ought not to be so. This is not the fruit of those that have a living faith, a saving faith. The church is where vulnerable, vulnerable and sinful people like you and I, we come and we find peace and comfort in the arms of our Savior and to be edified by our brothers and sisters. But sometimes, of course, we lose fact that we're all equal at the foot of the cross. We forget to have that mind of Christ. But friends, the truth is you and I always need to be falling at the foot of the cross. Even when we think we're okay, we need Jesus because James says there in verse six that our tongues are a fire, a world of unrighteousness. They need to be brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. James says that our tongue is untamable and it also reveals more about us than we care to admit, which is the third thing that we mentioned this morning. As I said before, James reveals to us that our words provide a barometer of our spiritual con condition. That when we resist the voice of God in that heated discussion with our spouse and we let that poison escape, our mouths, we were revealing the true character of our hearts at that moment. Maybe there's bitterness there. Maybe there's unforgiveness, pride that we really need to deal with. Now, if you're squirming in your seat right now, just as I am squirming, standing up here, going through these things, we're all in the same boat together. It's because we know that the things that James is saying are true, and we, we don't always like to admit it. We don't always like to to, to see the condition of our hearts, it's scary sometimes. There are things we just don't want to deal with. We can be honest. We regret a lot of things that have come out of our mouths and the consequences of our actions. And I sympathize. We live in a world that is set on fire by hell, as James so aptly put it there in verse six. The baseline, the ground zero, the default mode for our society right now is slander and judgment. Even our politicians call each other morons and all kinds of other names, slandering each other without cause. And they're supposed to be the best among us, our leaders, as we all laugh a little bit with uh, sarcasm. It gets easy to be sucked in, 
easy to be sucked in. For, but we have a higher calling. We have a higher calling as the church of Jesus Christ, called by his name to have the mind of Christ, to love our neighbors, to pray for our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. The world is trying to conform you and I right now, but God is calling us to be transformed new creations in Christ, that fruit that we bear is not the same as that of the world. We are different and we need to look different and we need to sound different, which brings us to our third point this morning. First being the teacher, the second being the tongue, and now true wisdom as we get there in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. But where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. It has been made very clear today in our study that worldly wisdom is on display today for all to see in our day and age. That bitter jealousy and selfish ambition is all around us, as told us by James here in verse 16. You think he was writing in 2019 and not 2,000 years ago. He says there, it leads to disorder, chaos, and every vile practice. Well, I think we can agree that is the world we live in. Our world is out of control But James is asking you and I a question here this morning. He says, you have wisdom. You have godly wisdom. You know what is right. Now do what is right. Again, again, bringing us back to our theme from last week that having a living faith, a saving faith, it's not enough to attain knowledge. Wisdom is the proper application of that knowledge. And James tells us in verse 17 what this wisdom looks like. These should be the fruits of our lips, We need to stand up and show the world a better way. And verse 17 says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is shown in peace by those who make peace. And as we close this this morning, let's just look at each one of those really quickly. First, he says that wisdom is pure. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Or Philippians 4.8, finally, my brothers, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Then he says, this wisdom is peaceable. Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Is it really important? Is it really that important that our opinion be known or that we win that argument or have the last word? James is encouraging us to seek peace, not to compromise the gospel, but I think you know the conversations that I'm talking about. Remember what he said in verse 13, the meekness of wisdom, the meekness of wisdom. Sometimes it's best to be humble and silent. Proverbs 17, 27 says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Then James says, we need to be open to reason. 
What did James, James say in chapter one, verse 19, that we should be quick to hear and slow to speak. We, we need to be open to correction and open to instruction. And then James says that wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. Proverbs 15, verse one, a, a soft or gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commands knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. You know, so many times when our feelings are hurt, we feel unjustly treated, we, we respond with what we call righteous anger. You know, we, we, are, we can do this righteously. They hurt us, they, they attacked us unjustly. But Jesus says, speak with mercy, be different, be like Jesus. And then he finally says, be impartial and sincere. And the Bible does not have very much, does not have a lot uh, of nice things to say about flattery. Proverbs 26, 28 is one of many verses. It says, a lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruins. We all know that person who is a smooth talker. We're not always show, sure if they mean what they say. And James is calling us to be sincere with our speech. When we speak with one another, speaking truth in love if necessary, but always speaking with grace. And finally, as we bring this all to a close today, what does this type of wisdom, this type of lifestyle in our speech lead to? It leads to peace. It leads to peace there in verse 18. It leads to peace and a harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. It leads to the fruit of righteousness being shown in our lives. And just as important, we are sowing seeds of peace in the lives of others with our words. Remember we talked about the fact we don't know what the impact can have, our words can have, who that will impact and how far and wide that those word, our words might go, you know? And does it really matter if we are sowing seeds of peace, bearing the fruit of righteousness in those people? Does it really matter? And as we saw last week, what is the result of such a work of faith in our lives? What is the result of speaking peace like that? It's our Father in heaven is glorified. Our Father in heaven is glorified. If you and I, through the power of the Holy Spirit, yield to the will of God every day, bring our tongues under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the result is that God will be glorified. People will see that you are different when you react in gentleness instead of anger, when you listen, when you show sincerity and restraint. This is the lesson that James is leaving with us today. And Paul said, this was the mind of Christ as he went to the cross for you and I. He held his tongue. He could have called down the armies of heaven, but yet he took our sin upon himself, the sin of our lips, the hate that was in our hearts, and he made peace for us with the Father. Will we all stand and let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for, for this chapter three of James. And though it was a hard truth to, to take in this morning, Lord, we know that we're not alone, that your Holy Spirit is here with us this morning, speaking to our hearts. And I know, Lord, that there are many people in this room this morning that have been hurt by careless words that their lives are still affected by things that have been said to them. And I just pray healing upon their lives right now, Lord, that by your spirit, you would just heal them, that the, they would have just the gift of forgetfulness for those things. We know that you can do that, Lord. And I just pray that our, we would watch our mouths, 
that we would speak grace to those that we come in contact with, that we would be an example, example, a godly example, that we'd live lives dedicated to you and that our words that come out of our mouths for all those that we come in contact would be seasoned with salt, speaking grace, speaking truth, the truth of your gospel, Lord, the truth of your gospel. And we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us alone in these things and that when we need to repent, Lord, you are faithful to, to, to forgive us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Let's close this song. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.